It's time for To The Last Drop Podcast with Liam Delcom and Brendan Nell. I don't know if you've caught your breath, Liam, but uh, it's Sunday night. I couldn't watch uh, the last 20 minutes without pacing up and down and pacing almost a hole in my my, my, my floor there. Uh, it's To The Last Drop. We're back. The Springboks in the semifinal by the skin of their teeth. And I'm Brendan Nell. I'm with Liam Delcom. Liam, could you watch that in that press box or were you biting your nails as well? Uh, the strange thing is there's no time to bite nails or to do anything other than uh, focus on the job because um, I, I had a very, very tight deadline uh, to meet uh, at final whistle. So um, the time for emotion or, as you said earlier, the biting of nails and sort of keeping fingers crossed, that kind of thing. Um, of, of course, you feel, you know, some of the emotion because you want the box to, to, to win the game and sort of to move forward. Um, but you, you can't be too distracted. So it's it's about getting the words on the, sc- on the screen. That takes priority. And it's only afterwards where you can sort of sit down and just, you know, take a breath and, and, and try and take it all in. Um, the, the previous evening, I have to say, uh, the, 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 fir- the quarterfinal between uh, Ireland and New Zealand, the experience was slightly different. Um, I didn't have as tight a deadline, so you you could actually sort of take more of the game in. Um, and I just found that also a thoroughly absorbing game um, of high quality. I mean, the, the technical excellence in that game, the, the tackles, uh, the way those two teams went at each other. It was a little different from the game the day, the day after. I mean, emotionally, obviously, it, that, that felt different. Um, but I just felt that Ireland-New Zealand game was on another level. I mean, I've been to a few World Cup games in my time, and but that was that was right up there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, first thing I'll point out, Mike, I mean, I, I know you, we've spoken about this before, that you don't really get to see much of the other games while you're at a... At a, at a a final, but those other two quarterfinals were um it was chalk and cheese in terms of quality, um intensity, yeah. every every superlative that you could probably think of to describe it. Um and then also the other thing I saw quite interestingly today that that Island New Zealand game was the highest ball in play of any World Cup match. There was over forty one mm. minutes, which is well, huge. I mean, you don't often hear that at all. So it just shows you how, how much the ball was in play and how how intense it was as well. Well, if you have the one team at kickoff take it through 30-plus phases uh, to sort of set the tone, and then the other team at the end uh, trying to win the game, uh, taking it through, what, 36 or so phases to obviously try and secure the win, um, that in itself tells the tale of of, of the match. Uh, There was, you know, the the willingness to lose there wasn't particularly high. I mean, both teams went at it, uh, hammer and tongs. Um, And it's... You know, if if we get another game like that in the World Cup, the tops that I would I'd love to be there. <laughs> yeah, I must admit. I mean, I thought the game I was at at the the Ireland South Africa game that was mm. you know, intensity. But I mean, even yeah, watching on TV, you could feel these two were almost a step up from the, that game as well. So, mm. yeah, and look, I mean, the the South Africa France game intensity also through the roof. Uh, you could probably make the argument the you know in the collisions, the some of the collisions were bigger. But there was uh, an excellence at, at ruck time and in in broken play. 
uh, from the uh, not just broken play, actually, even from first phase. I mean, I'm just thinking of the Will Jordan track. Um, the, the willingness to attack and and sort of just seize opportunity when it when it arrives in that game that was just next level. Yeah, as I said, the the last twenty minutes of our game, I just I was uh, I could you could <laughs> sense the tide was turning a bit, but um, I, I must admit, in the I, I was I was very relaxed after half time watching it on TV. Uh, you know, when but I thought France missed the trick there because we were on the ropes just off just before yeah. when Eben went off and and that yeah. in the twenty minutes after half time, um, if they had scored there, we I don't think we would have probably come back. But then that last twenty minutes, geez, what a game! And I think. Yeah, I don't know how many how many South Africans actually went to work on Monday morning, but uh, I know there must have been quite a few sore heads and a few sleepless nights after that because it just was so draining. And I think a lot of people don't realize as well, as you say, you had to get words on the screen. Often, you know, we talk about having a beer after the game, and it's often just to actually just – it's when that all that emotion sort of floods back and hits you. And I've been there before in other yeah. games, and you, you actually realize – Afterwards, how much what you've just watched, and not not why you're doing it because you're doing your job, obviously. Yeah, no, no, that's very true. Uh, the, the, of course, the unfortunate thing at the start of France is so far north uh, of the city that you go straight from the game into a press conference. Then there's a mixed zone with certain players, and then it becomes a mad dash to try and uh, scramble to the last metro uh, to get a, basically to get a train back to wherever you you are in. Um, in Paris, so you, so yeah, you don't have you know time afterwards to sit down and sort of um, take it all in and reflect. Perhaps, um, yeah, that's that's the the only down thing about having matches at the start of France. Yeah, no, it is. It is quite. <laughs> I must admit, I've missed the last World Cup final in two two thousand seven uh, myself and one of our friends, JJ Haram. So we missed the we missed the, uh, the the last metro. So we had to try and get a taxi, and that was became a bit mm. of a hash. And we yeah. eventually yeah, bundled yeah. into a taxi with a, an English couple who were, uh, for want of a better word, snogging each other, um, and didn't <laughs> even notice that we got into their taxi. But we got a taxi that way. So sometimes Fantastic. it's very strange the way you leave stadiums. So you have to you have to find a way. <laughs> and as the box did, I know I mentioned the uh, the mix zone earlier, and sometimes uh, you go to a mix zone and you don't get an awful lot. But after an emotional game like that. Um, you know, the Springboks against France, uh, uh, you can still feel the tension afterwards. And we certainly felt it with uh, with Jesse Creel, who obviously played out of his socks in that game, had one of his better games in the box jersey, and in fact was asked that question afterwards. What do you think would you say it's your best performance ever in a box jersey? Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I think it's not for me to decide. Um, I think the most important thing is uh, we got the result. Uh, what, uh, yeah, we got what we came here for tonight. Um, there's still a lot of rugby to be played in this tournament. Another two big, big games, and obviously, not looking past um, next weekend semi-finals. So yeah, it's just about um, getting back to the drawing board tomorrow, getting the bodies fresh, and um, yeah, all eyes on Saturday. Did you get any stitches there, Anton? Yeah, I got a few. I don't know how many. Uh, but it's quite a big cut. Um, what but happened? I'm not, I think I uh, just uh, hit hit a guy's uh, hip or something. It was just a bit of uh, bone on bone. But um, yeah, luckily. Heads all good, and that uh, was just was just a was just a cut. So um, yeah, luckily these things heal. Jesse, what did you talk about when uh, you were stood under the post after two minutes? Ah, oh, you know we we simulate these things throughout the week, and um, I think as South Africans we we're a pretty resilient bunch, and um, yeah, I think it's 
all, all things that we've experienced before in rugby games. And um, yeah, I thought we, we bounced back well. And um, obviously, taking no credit away from the French team, they're an unbelievable side. We knew they'd come out firing in front of a, a massive crowd. And um, yeah, I think the response was good. In terms of personal satisfaction, not just for you, but for the team, I mean, obviously, you've prepped for this game for, for a while. And so, you know, in terms of the squad, how, how satisfying was this result? Yeah, very satisfying uh, win. Obviously, any win in a Springbok jersey is uh, satisfying. Um, I think after lo November's loss against them, we, we, we felt like we, 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 were, we were disappointed and we wanted to make that right. So um, it was nice to get an opportunity tonight to fix that. How did you experience the crowd in that first 10 minutes? How hectic was it? Yeah, it's one of the loudest crowds I've ever played in front of. Um, I think the, the French were, were unbelievable and um, I think it's, it's, it's an awesome atmosphere and um, experience. Um, yeah, very privileged to have, have been out there and played tonight. Do you expect the vibe to change towards you now that you've knocked the host um, oh, I hope the French start supporting us. Um, they're lovely people and uh, yeah, I think they've really looked after us um, throughout this World Cup from liaison officers to security to hotel staff. Everyone's been so accommodating and, um, and really, really kind to us. So um, I think, yeah, um, especially in Toulon, it was like a away, uh, home away from home. Uh, they treated us like, like their own family. So that's been really special. So let's hope there's some more of that going forward. Have you been able to cast an eye on um, your opposition for, for next week? I mean, did you watch any of yesterday's? Uh... Yeah, obviously, the guys watched the game, but I mean, I think it was all all focus on on France tonight. We weren't looking uh, ahead of it. So, um, yeah, I think the analysis will definitely start tomorrow, and the guys will get into it. And um, yeah. Really exciting um, game next week. There are so many uh, players playing in Japan. Yeah. Uh, are there any positive effects about that? Yeah, thank you very I think um, it was a really good, good, good performance tonight. And I think a few, obviously a lot of Japanese players out there. And um, yeah, I think uh, the rugby over in Japan in the League One is, is very special. Um, I think uh, everyone over there has, has showed that they've improved their game and, and become better rugby players. And um, I think, yeah, the world um, doesn't really get to see a lot of League One rugby. And I hope in the future that it can be broadcasted around the world so people can see the, the level of rugby over there. So, yeah. Was there a specific, a specific big moment for you in the... Um, I think the, the whole game was filled with big moments. I think um, from both sides, I think there were some massive, massive moments throughout the game, almost too many, many to, to, to speak about now. But I think um, in the end, we obviously played the big moments um, better and came out on the winning side. I think it could have gone e either way, you know. So, um, yeah, we're just very, very happy with the win. How do you manage coming out of a bruising game like this with a six-day turnaround? Yeah, I think we, you just kind of... Um, uh, treated like any any other six day turnaround we 've obviously experienced it in, in the past we know what it what it takes um, to to get the body back to to one hundred percent so yeah obviously a big focus on recovery and um, and yeah just getting getting ourselves focused and 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 ready you not the host again uh, second World Cup in a row. Um, do you call on the French public to not get behind you guys? No, I mean, as I said previously, the French have been so amazing to us, even this week uh, playing against the hosts. You know, you'd think that maybe it would be different, but they were amazing uh, to us um, in Toulon, in Paris, um, in wherever we've been. They've, they've really treated us like family and um, gone over and above their, 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 their way to, to really look after us. So it's, it's, it's been really special. 
Sorry, yes. You're calling them to like get behind the box. Well, I hope so. Um, yeah, we I think um, we get on really well with the French people and especially our liaison officers, the security, the hotel staff. So uh, I think that will be uh, rooting rooting for us. I hope. Jesse, do you agree with people saying this was your best performance in the spring match? Yeah, I don't think um, I don't want to kind of speak about my. I think the the team was really really good, and um, I think a lot of guys put up their hands. Um, I just had, I just fulfilled my role tonight, and um, yeah, just really happy with the results. So yeah, you must be happy with your own performance. Yeah, I'm happy. We won, um, so that's, that's all I care about. Um, I don't really care about anything else. So if we're on the winning side, then that's all that matters. So how, how confident are you feeling at the moment when you take the field? You're, you look like you're hitting some really good form. You must feel great when you get out at the minute. Yeah, I think anytime you pull a green and gold jersey over your head, you feel great. Um, and I think yeah, hopefully just just more of the same kind of. Um, performances going forward uh, would, would be great but uh, yeah it starts with guys up front and the guys inside me uh, really doing the hard work and uh, yeah, that creates opportunities you're with Liam Delcom and Brendan Nell on the To The Last Drop podcast now the boxer got England um, it's, it's strange because uh, I saw a wonderful meme this week of, of, of a bunch of guys saying you don't deserve to be in the semi-final to, to guys obviously got the England flag on and and he and he replied, yes, but I am in the semi final, which is uh, yeah, that's the <laughs> point. strange because they they the only unbeaten team, but you wouldn't put money mm. on them if you were better. No, you wouldn't. Um, it's a weird thing, and, and I think we've seen this before. Um, where you know other World Cups where they've they were poor in the World Cup where they lost pool games. Uh, and then somehow manufacture a way to get into the final. So, so no, it's not uh, unfamiliar territory for them. Uh, they do, however, uh, you know, tend to slip up in semi-finals and even in the final. Um, they don't have a great record when it. When it uh, they've obviously famously won it once in two thousand and three. But for the rest, when it comes to semi-finals and finals, uh, not a great record, um, and also not a great record against South Africa. I mean, this will now be, I think, the fifth. The fifth meeting, and they've only won once. I'm talking about the World Cup matches now. Um, so yeah, and there's there's clearly, I mean, if you look at the stats that that's been released uh, from the quarterfinals, uh, there are clear areas where they need to uh, where they need to improve. Uh, the same goes for the box. Um, in in some of the attack, they they need to get better. Ironically, they were a lot better in the red zone last week than they were say, against Ireland. Where they created a lot of opportunities, uh, they were more ruthless in that uh, last weekend. But generally speaking, in that game, they created very little. It was only when they really got a, a sniff close to the line that they uh, that they capitalised. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, as for England, I mean, they, they, yeah, there are clear areas where they need to brush up. Yeah, I was looking at a stat today where I saw quite an interesting stat um, in one of the UK papers where they said when we scored our third try. Um, South Africa had only been in, in, in France's 22 for 99 seconds in the entire half when we'd scored out mm. to try. So that just, that's uh, I think that sums it up pretty good. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I suppose the big worry is, is how much, and this, I suppose for both New Zealand and South Africa is just how much mentally these contests, because they were so intense, um, because they were so, um, yeah, yeah, just high quality, how much that's taken out of you. And, and 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 whether you can lift yourself again the next week, we we saw, uh, you know, in two thousand nineteen, New Zealand played almost their final against Ireland, beating them quite handsomely. England played their final almost against New Zealand in the semi final, and obviously we played ours in the final. But uh, I think that's probably the biggest danger that we've got at the moment that maybe mentally that we don't get ourselves up again. 
Yeah, but the, the, the thing that sets the box apart is the deeper they go into these tournaments, uh, the, the better they become. I mean, they're able to sort of put last week behind them. They move forward. They draw from that, from whatever skirmish they were in. Uh, whereas with other teams, yeah, as, as you well point out, that maybe that uh, just psychologically, emotionally, they leave so much out there um, that they're unable to, to sort of fully recover. But, you know, the Springboks, uh, through throughout the existence in World Cup Rugby have, haven't shown that at all. Uh, in fact, you don't want to meet them in the semi-final or final because, you know, um, the record shows they'll beat you. <laughs> and uh, Rusty's been at his best this week as well. As he, um, he, we're going to listen to a clip now of him. Um, he basically turned up at a second press conference in two days. And because this one, as 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 Alex Lowe in the Times pointed out, he probably knew the English writers were going to be there, so that was probably the reason. Uh, I, I'd quite believe that. And and um, then proceeded to troll them by selecting their team for them in the press conference. Um, yes, uh, I think to talk about the All Blacks will be disrespectful to, to England because they are massive, massive speed bump uh, uh, for us to get over. Was a portal. Then a, then a speed speed up speed bump because uh, you know I was just looking at the, I'll get to New Zealand as I was looking at, at the possible teams that I think can play. I think we average two hundred minutes per player. They two hundred and sixty. I think the average caps of our team will be about fifty four. They'll be about fifty nine. I think the average age of our team is thirty. The average age of, of their team are twenty nine, and then the average um, yeah, weight is one hundred and four and one hundred five. So it's two teams, um, England's unbeaten. They, um, you know, the beat, they, they stuck to their guns. Uh, um, both, both weeks since he's been appointed and, um, they kept believing on what they're doing and it's paying off and you can see their team full of belief and, um, they will be definitely hurting from not just last year when we beat them, but also from the World Cup final in 2009. So they will be a very, very desperate team. And a team with your respect. Rosie, Alex Lowe from the Times. I'd be very interested to know what that England team is. Who is the team? Yeah. Yeah, now we're guessing, obviously. Um, no, no, we took to the basic guys, you know, against uh, George, uh, Sinclair, Dojay, Chisholm, Laws, Curry, Earl, Mitchell, Farrell, Daly, Dulagi, Marchant, May, uh, Marcus Smith, or Stewart. Uh, then Mahler, Cole, uh, uh, George, Pelly, uh, Ben Young, so Danny, George Ford, and Ollie. That's who we think. But we might be totally wrong. So, so wow. Liam, do you, do you think? Do you, do you think? Uh, that, I mean, there's obviously mind games, and obviously he's trying to make them think that he knows what they're going to pick, and they're ready for whatever they throw at them. Yeah, and why not? It's that stage of the competition. Uh, chuck something out there and see what comes back. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's quite good at these things, uh, and he would have given a lot of thought before he opened his mouth. So um, you know, uh, I think there's there's no doubt that um, you know England will will take note of what he said. Whether they will take it seriously, of course, that's entirely up to them. But it will at least catch the attention. Yeah, I saw, I saw Alex also, who's a mate of ours as well, called, called Rossi a pantomime villain akin to Eddie Jones. And yeah, my first thought about that was, geez, how boring would rugby be without characters? And if we mm. wanted to be like Steve yeah. Borthwick, I mean, geez, I mean, we would have a job in the world. So 
thank goodness for somebody like Grassi and, and, and makes it interesting for us all, gives us and these and the box have given the, the, the world something to talk about the entire tournament. So why should it change mm. now? Yeah. Coaches are a funny breed. I mean, most of them uh, have, you know, a fair whack of life experience. Uh, they obviously know the game inside out and they, most of them have a story to tell, but the game has changed so much over the last, I don't know how many years where, you know, we hide behind this word professionalism. So uh, what tends to happen is uh, every chance they get to uh, speak behind a microphone, everything is so sterile and it, like, you know, the, the things that they probably want to say, they they, they can't say. Um, you know, some guys get away with it. Some guys, you know, they go down that path, like like Eddie Jones. Um, but most of them, you know, shy away. And it's a shame. Yeah, I know. It is, it is a shame. But uh, what, what are your hopes? Uh, before we go to uh, our final final clip for the day, we had a chat with um, uh, New Zealand. I don't know if I should call him Shock Jock. Would you call Marty, Martin Devlin Shock Jock? He's yeah, if he's a, not, he's pretty close. <laughs> yeah. He's pretty he's close. Definitely a man who speaks his mind, and uh, definitely a guy to get a good take on New Zealand rugby as well. But uh, before we go to him, I had a good chat with him. Uh, your predictions for the weekend, then? Uh, Ooh, how do you yeah. think the games are going to go? Um, I think they'll go to script uh, to a large degree. Um, well, at least two of the, the the first two quarterfinals kind of went to script, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and then of course the, the other two Paris ones were just, you could probably toss a coin. Um, but this weekend, I think it's, it's fully back to script. I think, uh, New Zealand will, uh, keep Argentina at arm's length and then put a few on them towards the end. Um, and pretty much the same would hold through for South Africa, England. I think though, uh, I think South Africa will need to look back and I think they're aware of this to the semi final against Wales in 2019, where that game became uh, uncomfortably close. It was a game that Wales could have won towards the end. And it I won't say only because, because that'll be unfair, but to a large degree, South Africa kept them in that game. If they were prepared to engage a higher gear, uh, they would have been able to put a comfortable buffer between themselves and Wales. I don't think they want to do that again. Yeah. Um, you know, keep England vaguely interested i think they should uh look for a fast start and and keep going and i think i think the other thing is as well is probably this squad's got a bit more depth and a bit more versatile yes. and um yeah and probably is a lot more attacking in fact they are the stats say they they attack almost double uh the amount of times and their kicks in games are, are down to 21 a game where the average is on 33 the most in the tournament is 33 as well the, at this moment and guess who is that team that kicks 33 times well that's probably france england england are the oh, team wow. that kick the most in the in the tournament so you can oh, yeah. see a lot of high balls and um a lot of a lot of question marks on the the um, and I think Rusty was trying to point that out as well about that whether they pick Marcus Smith or Freddie Stewart because Freddie Stewart's obviously great under the high ball and um, mm-hmm. I think there's a bit of a lull that they feel that the one's got a bit more attacking nuance and the other one doesn't. Yeah, and also with the thing also with Marcus Smith is they they haven't been clear about what the you know the injury is. I know he had this uh, lip issue in the game. He got a, obviously bashed there, and then he got bashed again, and he had a bandage around the head towards the end. Um, so yeah, I mean they made it sound as if he will he should be okay, um, but of course they'll obviously just revert to Stewart if there is an issue, uh, which which takes some of the attacking options away. I would imagine if, uh, yeah. if that's the case. I- but it, it won't be a new thing for Bo- for Borthwick because he has not picked 
uh, an unchanged team uh, since he became England coach. So tinkering is very much his thing. Uh, he'll look at the opposition and make a, a judgment call. What could also be, you know, for a bloke who's early in his, well, early-ish in his reign as his head coach, um, not knowing all these players just yet and seeing what, what comes out. By now, obviously, if you're in a World Cup semi-final, you should have a fair idea of, of you know, what your best 15, your starting 15 should be and your best 23 for match day. But, um, yeah, if he does make changes, it, it, it certainly won't catch anybody uh, by surprise. And uh, we have to obviously say that we're recording this before both teams have been named. So uh, but yeah. probably some, some of you might listen to this after the teams have been named. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, my take is probably that both both semifinals are going to be probably relatively close till about 50 minutes. And then uh, both the two, South Africa and New Zealand, will probably pull away then as well. I got four out of four in my Super Brew last week, which I thought was quite a well, decent damn. achievement, uh, given well, the mistakes. So um, let's hope I'm right again this weekend. And we have that the dream Springbok All Black final, which we haven't had since uh, 95. Well done, Mr. Yellow Cat. <laughs> well, yeah, let's hope. I, I'm still way behind on the rest because I forgot to enter scores for a round or two, but that's that's what happens in these things. Anyway, but listen, yeah, we, that, thanks, Liam. Enjoy Paris. Are you uh, are you still uh, far away from where the box are? They, I see they're having press conferences in strange little buildings around Paris. I'm even further away now. They deep. They way north. Uh, I'm in the southwest. Um, yeah, so I'm even further away this week. Well, enjoy enjoy what Paris has got left for you, and stay away from the bed bugs. And uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, enjoy the games. I think we all wish we could be there. Uh, we're going to go across to now chatting to Marty Martin Devlin, a New Zealand radio host, and just his thoughts of where New Zealand are, and obviously South Africa as chances and the chances of that dream final. You're with Brendan Nell and Liam Delcom on the To the Last Drop podcast. Okay, so it's semi-finals week, and we're now talking to a good old mate of mine from New Zealand, Martin Devlin. Marty, uh, you you uh, are very well known for your opinions in New Zealand. Uh, let's start off with, with that. Did you see the All Blacks coming through that game? I saw you were quite happy with the results. <laughs> Brendan, great to talk to you as always. Look, um, yeah, there was a clip I put on Twitter, and it just got so many views. I'm very grateful to everyone who actually looked at the maniac who was going berserk at the end of that game. Um, it's so difficult for me. I'm sitting in a press box, but look, I'm just a silly old fan. I've only ever been a fan. I'm a fan with a microphone, and that's the privilege that I get, that I get so close to it. In all honesty, I hoped that the All Blacks would have that performance in us, but the reality of it is, and you go back to the semi-final in Tokyo, where we got absolutely belted by England, but you know, we actually track back, if you're honest, perhaps to that Lions series in 2017, when after 2015, in that legendary All Black side, it just started to unravel a little. You know, every other team all of a sudden start to find holes in us, whether it's rush defence, whether it's box kicks, whatever it is. You know, we, 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 we were replacing generational players who had played 100 tests. You look at our midfield, Conrad and Ma'a, Dan Carter, Aaron Smith. You look at the two locks who had won, you know, so much between them. You look at that loose forward trio of McCaw and Kieran Reid and Jerome Kano. The front row, Owen Franks had played 100. Kevin had played 100. All of that, okay. So it was only, uh, you know, natural that there was going to be a transition. And, you know, you know a lot of us felt that, that this current group of players 
players weren't living on past glories, but what they weren't doing was they weren't living up to past glories, if you know what I mean. And so many unwanted mm, records, yeah. Brendan, you know, losing to Argentina at home, losing to them away, losing to Ireland at home, a series for the first time in 94, a series to Ireland. I can go on. Losing to U-Box at Twickers in a record score, losing for the first time in a pool match. And I put that question to Ian Foster before the Ireland game that, uh, look, you know, if we lose, statistically, we're the worst all-black team that's ever gone to a World Cup. So when you put all of that on that side of the ledger, then, you know, you're looking at the all-black side and going, but we played like that in Joburg, and we played in bits and pieces in games at that level again. Could we do it against an Irish team that brought everything that they had? So I can't be, you know, dishonest to you and say, hey, I expected that. I loved it. I thrived on it, of course. But I went into that game very nervous and very worried. Well, I'm sure you were, you were biting your, your fingernails with the 30, what, 34 phases right at the oh, end there. Oh. That was, I mean, it was ridiculous. I, I can, I can uh, sit the last 20 minutes of our game. I was pacing up and down watching it, but I'm sure pretty much the same for you. Yeah, look, it was. And, you know, congratulations to South Africa Springbok fans. That was an absolutely titanic effort, given the fact that, you know, you were 7-0 down. And, of course, that was a deliberate knock-on. And I don't even argue with me. That was a bloody deliberate knock-on. And you perhaps should have been more down. <laughs> But look, you know, that last phase from the All Blacks, where we were sitting, and we were up in the gods at the media centre, and the advantage, as you know, Brendan, and I just want to paint a picture here for everyone who's listening to this podcast, is when you watch it on TV, you get a very narrow view of what's happening on the field because the cameras are all around where the ball is. When you're watching from up above, you get the whole chessboard and you get to see all the all the pieces on it and you get to see where all the players are standing. And that gives you a better perspective of things like depth of, of, of where the play is going. And I'll give you one good example. Every time in the second half, Ireland went out left. Their left winger, James Lowe, was right on the touchline. Now, the closest the play got to him was probably about halfway across the field. So I'm talking you, you'd need to sling a 25 metre pass to get to him. So repeatedly, if you watch it again, they were continually cutting back inside because there was no men out there between the last guy and James. And so our guys were structuring the defence like that. In the end, we called it a bit of a cut and paste job. As long as our guys were making their one-on-one tackles, Ireland, look in those 34 phases, or you know, maybe 35 or 36, but in the last 10 to 15 of those, they were really flat footed and they didn't really know where to go and so you know Ian Foster said afterwards as well it was incredibly tense because you only need one error and then it's all over Mm, but as long as our guys you know believed in themselves trusted in that defense and he said he felt quite calm I didn't feel calm but I understood what he was saying and if you go back and watch your replay he's exactly right yeah. Well, does this? Uh, I was going to ask you as, as a as a New Zealander, does this this save Fozzie yet, or does he have to win it? And if if he does win it, the whole tournament, does that save him? I know I know Razor's coming in, but I know Fozzie is not exactly the most well liked person in New Zealand rugby. And that's really unfair. Look, I've been one of the few people in my position in the media who've actually stood up for this guy. He's a really decent man. He displays a lot of dignity. He displays a lot of class. Brendan, I don't think even if if we win the World Cup that he's going to get the credit that he deserves. It'll go to Joe Schmidt and it'll go to Jason Ryan. Of course, if we don't win, all the crap goes his way, as it always has done. And again, look, you know, I go back to the players. You know, he doesn't have the same playing group that Shag had in 2015. And And most of these guys, you know, were involved in the last four years of all of these, as I just described, unwanted all-black records. My challenge has always been to these players, lift yourselves and win these games. I don't know how much the coach has an influence. Of course, tactically, he's got to 
be involved. He picks the players. He stayed very loyal to the same group of guys. So those have got to be two ticks in his favour. Maybe he should have, you know, you know, this is the criticism he faces. Maybe he should have dropped some of those blokes, you know, in, instead of staying with the t- tried and true. But they came through for him in the biggest game of his career as the All Black coach. Also, when you add to this, Brendan, when he started, I'm not making excuses for the guy here, here but when he started the first year was COVID. Okay, so that was a complete disruption. So everything that could have possibly, you know, gone wrong in a four-year tenure has. And then, of course, you get the Scott Robertson thing and the way that the New Zealand Rugby Union have handled that, which has been, look, I mean, any person in any employment position, if all of a sudden the Flash new guy in the safari suit walks in with the, you know, and he's a surfer and everyone loves him and he's doing a dance in the office and you're going, hang on, what about me? I'm not chopped liver over here, mate. I mean, I'm still doing the job. So all of those distractions aside, he could have spat the dummy big time. He hasn't. You know, I don't want, you know, yeah. I don't want to say, hey, let's win it for Fozzie because, you know, I mean, we've just got to win it because those players want to win it first and foremost for themselves. But in answer to your question, a very long-winded way of saying, I don't believe he's going to get the credit for this regardless. Okay. And then finally, uh, your, your calls on the two, two semifinals. Tell me where you think it's going to go. I can't help but go for the, you know, the romanticism of that 1995 repeat final, which we owe you for. And there's a couple of things about that final. One of them, of course, is, you know, the questions about the hamburgers and the tea and the waitress and all of those. I mean, we laugh about that all of the time, me and you. The other one is if you go back and watch that tape, one of those Andrew Merton's drop kicks in overtime went through. They called it as though it went over the bloody goalpost and it went through. I just think, Brendan, to be honest. And Ruben Kruger scored. There you go. Look, I think that... I think we have to be too strong for Argentina, and 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 that's that's just being you know the the reality and the honesty of it. You know, if the All Blacks lost the semi final, this would probably be their single worst loss in any World Cup. Because no disrespect mm. to our to our Argentinian opponents, who we love, of course, but at the same time, this is an All Black side that should put them away, absolutely should. As far as the other semi final goes, the banana skin for South Africa for me is England have looked awful all tournament. Okay, against Argentina, they played pretty well with 14 men, but they looked awful during the Six Nations. Steve Borthwick has got them playing. It's almost within this confined little box. And you just wonder, you know, they've got players that were there in 2019 that lost that are going to have a massive motivation. I saw Atoje probably play his best game in his last game against Fiji that he has in the last two years. Yeah. So I don't know whether or not England have the lift in performance that the All Blacks had in Ireland, whether they can do the equivalent. And that's the big unknown going into this because on paper, again, you guys should put them away. Yeah, I think I think the way I mean what we're all hoping for is we all think back to Chisholm Colby and yeah, skinning Owen Farrell and we all love to hate Owen Farrell yeah, from the outside. But um yeah, they've got a lot of experience, they've got the pack that could probably if they have that one game and, and that's what we always worry about, is that just just that one game that they could have, you know. And um I think that's what our worry is. And, and again, how much does has these uh, two quarterfinals taken out of the teams mentally. Yeah, I think that's a big worry. I'll just add this finally then. Um, you know, I wrote a word, a, a word down before we started talking, which was attrition. And when you look at, let's just let's just assume, we're not presuming, let's just assume, for example, that, because that's always an ass of you and me if I get this wrong, of course, isn't it? So let's assume that the All Blacks in the box make that, make that <laughs> final. New Zealand has played a really tough one against France. We then played the Seychelles, the Canary Islands and Stewart Island. Then we played a really tough one against Ireland. No disrespect to those opponents. I'm just being silly. Then we play Argentina. So we've perhaps got two, maybe two and three quarters really tough games before the final. You guys have played Ireland, Titanic match, tough game against Tonga. Okay, you had a hard one against Scotland, a brutal match against France. Now you've got England. Count them on your fingers. By the time you get to that final, you've played six, we've played three. Does that take its toll? (laughs) 
<laughs> I'd counter that for a final point with just saying that the box have probably got as much depth as the, the All Blacks had in 2011, 2015. They could play two different teams. Uh, so I think they're probably, they're probably looking at it that way. So hopefully that's not a factor. But hey, we're first going to get through this uh, this weekend. Marty, thanks for the chat and, and enjoy it up there in Paris. Uh, uh, go have a few more croissants and whatever else, croque monsieurs and, and then there's something and find some French wine to enjoy. Tula to douche up See you in the final, my friend. And as you can see, even the New Zealanders are hoping for the dream final South African New Zealand. Although I think, like Marty says, we want to stay away from any waitresses, hotel staff, uh, dodgy prawns and dodgy food. And, and, and I told, as I said, bed bugs. Um, we, we obviously hope it's a great final and we hope we get the final we want. Uh, Liam, that's it all for me. Uh, maybe you can just sign us off from Paris. Yeah, well, I, you, you mentioned the bed bugs. That I hope none of those things, um, yeah, came come back to to bite them or end up on a plate or something like that. So, um, yeah, let's hope for some, um, yeah, fairly plain sailing over the last uh, week and a half of this tournament. We'll see you guys next week, where we'll know if we've got the dream final or not. But uh, keep listening, and thanks for listening this this episode. This is to the last drop. Thanks for listening. And a reminder, you can find all the To The Last Drop podcasts on the Brendan Nell YouTube channel, iono.fm, Spotify, player.fm, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and iTunes, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.